This week's episode of Casa de Cambio is brought to you by Casa de Cambio. Are you sick of all the free content I'm providing? Do you ever think, hey Tash, I would really love to come and pay for something? I have some great news. I've launched a series of workshops aimed at both beginners, people who are non-change managers, through to masterclasses for more experienced practitioners. Head to www.casadecumbio.com.au for more info. Welcome to Casa de Cambio. On this episode of Casa de Cambio, I'm very excited to be joined by Maria Recaman. Welcome, Maria. Hi, thank you for having me in your podcast. You are so welcome. I'm delighted to have you here. So, Maria, you're a change consultant and you've recently moved to Australia from Colombia. Yeah, I did six months ago. Uh, I was hoping for a different experience, but here I am <laughs> after a pandemic, but it's, it's all good. Yeah. Um, so the first question I ask all of the guests who come on Casa de Cambio is what are you currently reading, watching or listening to? Okay, so I have one of each. Uh, I usually read a lot. Uh, so um, this year I uh, decided to focus on female authors because I usually I was uh, reflecting on that and I realized that mm. I uh, read a lot of fe- male authors. So I decided yep. to, to have a go with female authors. So I'm now reading normal people oh have you watched the tv show no i usually like reading the book before the series so i decided to to uh, buy the book and i'm reading it right now yeah great great yeah i'm not hooked yet but yeah i'm, I'm getting there it's it's getting slowly there yeah i enjoyed the tv series but it was also a little on the slow side okay um are you watching or listening to anything I like listening to true crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I re- I found that there's an Australian true crime podcast. So I'm listening to that at the moment. Is it called Australian True Crime Podcast? Yes. Have you listened to one called The Teacher's Pet? No. I highly recommend that okay. one. That's the first podcast I ever listened to. Okay. And it's a true crime and it's Australian and it's wild. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. I mean, yeah, it's... I will tell you a little bit about what it is because it's I, hi- I highly recommend. I was like every episode, I was like, "Oh my oh, goodness!" Um, it's about a man. A woman men- went missing, I think, in 1982 in, in New South Wales, okay. and like no one did anything about it. And um, her husband, as a result of the podcast, her husband just got charged with murder. Wow. So like a lot of people are saying because you know how in this day and age, if a woman is missing or gets yeah. murdered and they look at the husband or yeah. the partner they think well you know yeah. that's the first place the police look but back then they that didn't. wasn't a thing and he said oh she left me she ran away but all this stuff happened and, and like there was all this bad police work like the it was yeah just get that have a go at that okay i'll look for it but yeah so all of the interviews and all of the um uh, new evidence that the podcast uncovered meant that the police launched a new investigation oh, okay. and the guy's still denying that he did it and, you know, they never found this poor woman and they don't, you know, but it's... But is, is he guilty or...? Well, it's going through the courts at the okay. moment and he's saying not guilty and obviously they can't say in the podcast he did it. Of course, yeah. But a lot of people think that he did. Yeah, so I came across a, a, an American podcast called Serial. Have you... Yeah. yeah. So I, I started listening to that and then I... 
started listening to a lot of more podcasts on that. So yeah, it's like um, on justice and um, true crime things. So yeah. I'm very into it. Also the net, all the Netflix, Netflix um, true crime series. Um, I'm there. Yeah. What are some of your favorite true crime series? Um, I like the Making a Murder. Did you yeah. watch it? Yeah, that's good. But also there's uh, there's one up around um, false confessions. Oh. How how uh, policemen uh, trick people into uh, conf- yeah confessing things that they didn't do. Yeah. So that's that's very interesting because that uh, it's related to to the work I do on human behavior and uh, paradigms and cognitive biases. So it's very interesting. Well, because making a murderer is like that's one of the key things yeah. of with the younger cousin, the yeah. guy who was yeah. like fourteen or fifteen, and yes. they. That part of that story was absolutely yeah. wild. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't believe crazy. it. Yeah, and no. he's still in jail. Oh, spoiler alert! Yeah, <laughs> he's sorry. still in jail. I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. That that's years old. If you haven't watched it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, what was the best piece of career advice you've ever received? Um, so yeah, um, back when I was uh, studying uni in Colombia, um, I think they um, prepare you to become an employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was on that track. So I, after um, finishing my degree, I was going to look for a job. And then uh, because I studied political science and anthropology, it was hard for me to find mm. uh, something in the market. Mm. Uh, so my uncle actually said, like, why, like, you don't have to follow the traditional path of a nine-to-five job committing to the employer mm. uh, for the rest of your life. You can look for other kind of jobs or other type of contracts. Here is more uh, common to have different type of contracts, but in Colombia it's not. So you have mm. like a full time nine to five uh, kind of um, job. And when he told me that, I realized that I could become a freelancer. So I yeah. became a freelancer, and then uh, yeah, I I had time for myself, for my family, and that was very good because the only world I knew uh, while I was studying was that. Um, I would become an employee yep. uh, and commit to an employer, and that that wasn't the case. Mm. So I actually f- think that going back to a nine-to-five job in the Colombian context will be very difficult for me because I really enjoy the opportunity to having that like of having different uh, projects going around. I was also a uni teacher, so that was good. So I like I was doing different things with my time. That was good. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I never even thought back to how I was feeling when I was at uni. They never really, I mean, I don't know what unis in Australia are like now because it was a long time ago. <laughs> I was there for me. But um, yeah, I never really thought about, like, it, it does seem that they're just telling you you're going to go and work in a permanent mm. job for exactly. some government organisation or some big company and they don't tell you about freelancing and although the gig economy that word is quite new yeah. um, relatively so there's a yeah you don't have to follow that path yeah and actually now that I, that I was a uni teacher I realized that they have changed like going to the other extreme so all my like 95% of my students they wanted to become uh, entrepreneurs mm. like they wanted to have their startup and I yeah. was like yeah that's good but also you need to like you Everyone can't be an entrepreneur because who's gonna work for who? Like yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> I think it's a balance between uh, understanding that you have different options, uh, but also thinking about what option really uh, aligns with what you want to do in life and and yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think the nine to five has become a little bit uncool, but it's still, you know, there's a lot of work there. And yeah, yeah like you're right, not everyone can be a startup founder. I mean, everybody can be, but at some point they may have yeah. to just... <laughs> yeah, and, and you, you see those uh, success stories, uh, but behind one success story, there's a lot of uh, bad stories and mm. failed stories that you have to also consider. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so tell me about your background as a change manager in Colombia and your recent move to Australia. So I came uh, across change management uh, by surprise. I wasn't uh, expecting to become a change manager. Nobody is. Who's a change manager? <laughs> yeah, I, <know. laughs> uh, I, I actually wanted to work in um, CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, after I finished university. And I was applying for jobs on that and I came across an uh, architecture and design firm that did corporate design. And they said, like, I we like your anthropology background. We want someone to do some research on the relationship or the link between corporate design and organizational culture. Uh, and I said, like, yeah, I, I need a job. And this, is sound, mm. this sounds like something that I could do. Mm. And doing that research, um, I came across change management. And actually, I developed a service uh, together with the design service uh, to offer clients uh, that were changing their design, uh, office design, uh, to provide a change management service mm -hmm. uh, to transition to the new offices. So most of the clients were changing from the cubicle type of uh, office to the an open plan office. Yeah. And of course, this brought a lot of uh, stress yes. and resistance. Yes. Uh, so I was helping employees transition uh, into the open plan uh, space in a smooth way. And did you know at that time that that was change management? Yeah, like I was reading a lot about it. Uh, that word wasn't, a th like that concept wasn't a thing in Colombia. So mm. I was reading a lot of um, American resources and companies, uh, multinational companies that had already that, like Gensler, there's a lot of uh, multinational architecture firms that uh, do that. So I, I started reading and realized that that was a thing. But yeah. I, yeah, I didn't know at, at the moment that I was doing change management. Yeah, amazing. So after two years of working that, I decided that I needed to um, go and study. And yeah. It was also an excuse to go, like, leave Colombia for a while. And then I went to Amsterdam, did my master's. Oh, amazing. Uh, I love Amsterdam. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's, it's hard for a student with a student budget, but Amsterdam is amazing. It is. Yeah. I want to live there one day. I will live there one day. Yeah. <laughs> I might go and do a master's <laughs> there one day. Yeah, it's great. A lot of like people from everywhere and it's such an open uh, culture. It's very nice. Yeah. So I did my master's there, came, uh, went back to Colombia. I, I keep saying came back like I, I was still in Colombia, yeah. but I'm not. <laughs> I went back to Colombia and I started working as a change consultant. Yeah. Um, I and what did you do your master's in? It was a master's called Culture Organization and Management. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's very change management yeah. oriented. So it was, it was in the social sciences faculty, so it had a lot of uh, soci sociology, anthropology uh, emphasis, but also like a project management uh, approach to change. Yeah. Um, and that was good because I, uh, after two days of being in Colombia, I found a job. So that was great. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm. 
uh, and I started working as a consultant. And can I ask you a question about sure. Colombia? In Colombia, do they value if you go overseas and do a master's yeah. in a country like Amsterdam? Yeah. Is that like a very highly... Yeah, definitely. Right, yeah. okay. Like it's something that everyone has to... Like, well, not everyone because not everyone can do it. But if you want to find a, a white-collar job, uh, your chances will be higher if you have an uh, international master's. But then, like you said, like only people with a certain amount of money and privilege could afford yeah, to do that. Like Colombia's, you yeah. know, yeah, it's like one uh, percent uh, of the population can afford that, mm. which is very sad. Um, but yeah, it's it's how it goes. Uh, if you want to find like a corporate job, um, right. you have to go overseas because yeah, it's 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 funny because um, we don't value our things. So like we don't mm. value local experience, um, which is very funny because here is Australia is all about the yeah. local experience and we probably should exactly. value international experience yeah. a bit more. So tell me about, yeah, your move to Australia and how you found it uh, job hunting for change management roles yeah. since you arrived. So I went back to Colombia after Amsterdam and I knew Colombia wasn't the place I wanted to be. Mm. Uh, also, my brother has been living here for 12 years and yeah, I, it, I, I thought that Australia could be a good destination being closer to my brother he had a kid two years ago so that was also uh, a nice thing so I started my process of uh, getting a permanent residency through the skilled migrant scheme yeah and uh, two years later I got it and I decided to move um, it's funny because like you you hear everywhere that Australia wants uh, professional migrants uh, mm. in their country and that mm. and then you arrive and you come across like, ah, do you have local experience? And I'm uh, no, because I, I just got here. <laughs> uh, so it's 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 an obstacle, and it's like um, yeah, you you your world uh, changes because of that because you come you come here with a lot of expectations, and then you find mm-hmm. that it's it's not as easy as you thought. Uh, so that was that has been a process. Yeah. yeah, it is such a big part of Australian work culture. I don't agree with it because um, one of the things I have spent a bit of time doing is mentoring people who seek asylum and, and yeah. refugees and they're people who were professionals in their home countries. And then they come to Australia and they have no network. Yeah. Often their degrees and qualifications are not recognised because a lot of the countries that they come from, you know, we don't recognise their universities. Yeah, of and course. Um, and yeah, like they don't have Australian experience and it's such a big, and that's what opened my eyes to what a big thing it was. But I know, um, I have a number of people in my professional network who have also worked in Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. Singapore, the United States, the UK, and even that, you know, is not highly valued. So it doesn't matter, um, what country, you know, like I had a friend who went to Hong Kong for a few years and she was working for a big multi, like you know, working with big multinational companies, yeah. like got great experience. And she came back to Australia and they were, all the recruiters were pointing to what she'd been doing in Australia like three years prior. And she's like, but I've done all this other stuff. Yeah, of course. And, you know, that was Hong Kong. That's like a big international city. So um, it is a very, <laughs> I don't know why we're like that. <laughs> um, I think, you know, but I feel like if I went and lived in Europe, yeah. They would be like, well, who are these Australian companies? <laughs> like, because yeah. they in Europe they see us as a bit of a backwater, yeah, not really on the radar. I- and there's something that you don't even think when you're about to move to a new country. Like, um, yeah, how do you translate a lot of the names that 
the companies that you work for. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. So it's it's a whole process that you have to to uh, be patient and yeah. Yeah, and you got here right before COVID hit as well. Exactly. So I think what I said to you <laughs> earlier is if you arrived in a normal year, I'm sure mm. you would have picked something up pretty quickly. Like there is usually a high demand for change and you just came at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and who was, like, how would you know yeah, exactly. that that's what was going to yeah. happen? Um, yeah, I, I actually had a, a few leads, uh, like January or something before COVID and then everything changed. And mm. I was like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, everything. I think it's p- so things are starting to pick up now. And um, so, what? Another thing I wanted to ask you is, what are some of the differences you've observed between Colombian business culture and Australian business culture? Because you've been networking, yeah. you've been putting yourself out there, you've been meeting with people. Yeah, th- that's that's a huge uh, new world for me. Um, the networking, you don't realize how important a network is until you find yourself with no network yeah um yeah i had i have my brother here and friends and that but but yeah like the professional network is so important and you take it for granted in back in like i was taking it for granted back in colombia because i n- i never had a problem with finding a job and it was always word of mouth uh, but here is like who knows me like no one knows me uh, i started applying for jobs online and I thought that was going to be easy because I had a few leads but then yeah COVID and everything and and I think I didn't want it to accept uh, the networking the network thing um I'm usually very shy and like reaching really? out to yeah yeah uh, yeah this is a new person <laughs> <laughs> you're seeing here uh, reaching out to people it's it's difficult um I don't know it's maybe it's my own biases and my own um brain uh, playing tricks on me but uh, it was hard to to decide on on reaching out to people and building up my LinkedIn profile uh, so I started uh, slowly reaching out to certain people and then I said like if I want to do this do this I ha- I want I had I have to go big mm-hmm. so I yeah I uh, started doing more networking and that has been paying off uh, it's amazing because I have talked to people like CEOs, managing direct directors, which in Colombia would never happen, mm. uh, because that was one that is one of the differences here. Here, the the business culture is more horizontal. Yeah, uh, people are more approachable. Yeah, uh, whereas in Colombia, a CEO would never give you half an hour of their time to have a conversation with a newly uh, arrived migrant. Like, yeah, right. yeah no, so. If you want um, a meeting with them, you have to do a lot of lobby, and perhaps mm. you you will never have uh, the meeting. So that was that that is very interesting because you have the opportunity to talk to people that otherwise you wouldn't. Um, and it's uh, I think I don't know if because of COVID, but people are willing to to have those Zoom meetings and virtual coffees. Uh, people have more time; they don't have to go to a cafe to have the meeting. So I think. Uh, um, that has been good because I have uh, uh, I have had the opportunity to talk to people in Brisbane, Sydney. Um, so my network is not only in Melbourne, but it's expanding. Uh, yeah. So that's yeah. good. Great. Well, that's good. I think in Australia, we are pretty informal people yeah. and we are direct communicators. So we res- like we're totally cool with people ca- saying, hey, I'm here. And, you know, what about and this? It's actually expected. Like, yeah, people expect um, like others to do that when you're looking for a job for example yeah so it's 
if you don't do it, it's 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 not as good as if you do it. Correct. And I think, um, are you familiar with the concept of command and control and yeah. old power? Yeah. Like you, what you've described in Colombia sounds very yeah. like old power, yeah. command and control, like yeah. lots of hierarchy and yeah. everybody respects the hierarchy. That's it. We do have that in some um, businesses in Australia, mm-hmm. but I think even when there is a hierarchy, people don't really respect it that like, you know, okay. like most workplaces I'm in, if I, you know, start chatting to someone in the kitchen and yeah. they go, oh, that's the, you know, chief operating officer. I was like, oh, that's really okay. friendly. <laughs> yeah, see, sometimes CEOs have their own uh, lift, for example. Uh, that used to be the case in Australia and there's one, uh, I nearly said the name of it, there was one <laughs> company that I worked at that CEO is no longer there, but when I was working at that yeah. company, um, they didn't have their own lift, but their security people would make people get out of the lift because oh, okay. that's so rude. Yeah. And people were like, I don't care. People thought it was pretty uncool. But yeah, like that's a thing of the past here. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's still a thing in Colombia, I think. Mm. Power and um, yeah, your position and your level is it's important. And and you see that in, in corporate design. Like the, the CEO office is only is always on top floor, the biggest mm. office, even if the CEO is never there. Yeah. Um it's the biggest office in the in the building. Yeah. 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 That same company I was talking about, they used to have an executive floor and it was right at the top of the building and it was all this yeah, like like no access only like well, I was. I went. I don't even know why I was allowed to go up there because I was a nobody. But <laughs> I was probably for a meeting, yeah. not with the CEO, but with someone important. And yeah, like it was all like this. It was so male. It was like dark wood paneling. Yeah. It looked like something out of Mad Men, even though Mad Men wasn't a show back then. This was a while <laughs> ago. But I remember thinking, "Whoa, I've gone back in time." Yeah. This is what it's like. But I reckon that all of those, that, that would all be remodeled now. Like, I don't think it would look like that anymore. Um, yeah. yeah, actually, when I was working for this architecture firm, it was very, um, it took a lot of time to convince CEOs and managers to let go of the space, of mm. the square meters. Uh, because it's like, the more square meters you have, the, the more important you are. So yes. when, when we were saying like, yeah, you're never here, like, it's 20 square meters there you're waste, wasting and paying for. Uh, we could turn this into a, like a collaborative space. And they were like, no, no, no. Like, I need my space. I need my door. It's mine. It's mine. I, I have very confidential things here. Like, I need a door with a key. And yeah, it was... Yeah, I've been involved in some um, change projects which involve people uh, who have their own offices no yeah. longer having their own offices. Okay. And... It is massive. But, I mean, if you think about, um, you know, why people resist change, they're losing something. Yeah, so, of course. like, they're losing their status because mm-hmm. there's a huge amount of status associated with yeah. having an office. Um, even though to people like you and me, I'm like, I will never have yeah. an office. Yeah, like, I, you know, in my whole career, like, I, that's just, you know, the way that mm-hmm. offices and workplaces are going. Yeah. Um but, yeah, I think when people have something to lose from a change, yeah. they're always going to resist it. So not only are they losing their physical space mm-hmm. and there's a physical barrier between them and their the team, others, they're yeah. also losing their status. Yeah, and course. so they see it as, well, you know, I'm just some random, you know, I'm no more important than Joe yeah. Blow sitting in the corner exactly. and I've got to get my own desk and I've got to have a locker. Like, you know, it is. Yeah. But at the same time, it's funny because 
they are the same people that say that they want open plans and transparency. Yeah, and for everybody yeah. else, not yeah, for yeah, them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always the case. Yeah. It's like I think the new version of that is leaders who say we need to be more agile, but yeah. they don't see yeah. that they think everyone else has to yeah, be more agile. Exactly, they don't see yeah. that they need to change the way they lead or manage mm-hmm. or maybe they might need, you know, because they just think it means software development. Um, but, yeah, I when I work on those projects, like usually I am very empathetic, but I secretly love people <laughs> getting their offices taken away. I don't know. It's like... <laughs> yeah. I don't know because I'm, you know, I, I just feel like, oh, come on, get with the times. Like offices are so stale. Come mm. on, you're yeah, just I, an old yeah, boomer. It, it makes me wonder what, what are they doing right now that they are working from home and they lost all this space and that. How, yeah. They're probably, well, they, I read an article the other day that said uh, men, I think, over a certain age are the ones who are dying to get back to the office. Yeah. Everyone else is like, no, it's great, yeah, you it's know. Great, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably because there's a set, they've probably got some status at the office. But, you know, and, and I think you're right, like you can throw facts and figures at people like that, you know, but when they've got something to lose, they're not yeah. going to take any of that yeah. information on board. Um very interesting. Are there any differences in the way that change management is done here? Because I know you've been attending a lot of events yeah. and reading, you know, following a lot of people. Is yeah. So is it different here to how it is in Colombia? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I came with a different idea. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, I thought that it was going to look much closer to the, the, the way uh, things go in Colombia, but it's very different. One of the things that I have uh, realized is that um, here the practice is more specialized than right. in Colombia. So mm-hmm. that means that there are a lot of um, change positions yep. and levels. Uh, people, um, like for example, a job that I would do only me, like there was the, the only change manager around, I would do the whole, th- everything. Uh, but here you have BAs and uh, change analysts and change managers, change leads, and I was that was a new world for me. Although um, most of the time there is still one change manager yeah. who does everything. Like okay. I mean, you can there are different levels. Yeah. But I've done a lot of projects where sometimes I'm called a change manager and sometimes I'm a lead. Okay. But I'm still doing all the stuff by myself. Okay. Like sometimes you get a team, but you don't always. That's becoming more the exception okay and and less the rule okay if that helps you yeah yeah sure because like when the only way to approach the market is through uh, job positions and like mm. reading and that so when i see like change director and change lead and change manager and change analyst and uh, i have come across interviews when they ask me like are you a change analyst or a change manager? I'm like, mm, I don't know the difference. So it's it's been a, a new world to discover because in Colombia, every everyone that works in change is called a change manager. Mm. Uh, so there's no differences between that and you end up doing a lot of things. Um, and you know, it's funny because when once you start working, everybody just calls you a change manager okay. anyway, no matter what your yeah. title is. Yeah. So you have like... The change analyst, well, maybe unless you're an analyst, you'll get called an analyst. But yeah. if whether you're a change manager, a senior change manager, a change consultant, a change lead, people go, oh, this is Tash, our change manager. Yeah. <laughs> so it's <laughs> easier. Like yeah. that, that's what people will say. That's I think those titles are more for 
assessing seniority and hiring yeah. that they don't tend to factor into okay. play so yeah. much when you're actually in your role like because everyone who's not in the industry doesn't understand the differences so yeah, they'll just course. call you a change manager so if you're a really senior person sometimes <laughs> people are like um i'm actually a change consultant <laughs> yeah um anyway keep going what else were you going to say um, about the difference between change management yeah i found uh, also a new world on on how how change practitioners here are working on um, the practice itself. Like there's a, a lot of books being written and a lot of uh, resources, methodologies, tools mm. that I didn't know before coming here. Maybe yeah. I should have done some research before, but I didn't uh, because I thought that the, the methodologies I know and the tools I, I knew were the same ones that people use here. Um, mm. But I have realized that that's not the case. Um, I think um, Colombia being closer to America or the United States, mm. um, we tend to look uh, up them. Uh, so my th the resources I was reading and the methodologies I was reading and, and using were more American than mm. Australian. Mm. Um, and I have which makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah, if you learn English, you learn yeah. American English. You don't yeah. learn Australian yeah, English. Exactly, but it's it's good because that means that the practice. Uh, practitioners are looking after the practice and they are um, building more things and uh, creating more resources and more tools to, to keep the, the practice going uh, and they're not uh, staying put with the resources that they have. Uh, so that's good. I think it's a, it's a good uh, sign that um, there's a lot of things being said about the, the practice. Mm. Good. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good assessment and interesting to know. Um, so you've recently written a three-part blog series about paradigms. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write that series and what made you think of it? Yeah. Um, so it, it it's it's been a whole process. I was thinking on ways to engage with the community and mm -hmm. um, getting my name out there, uh, getting people to know me in the community, uh, in the change community, uh, doing network and... Um, that was one thing. Uh, and the other thing is that um, when I was back in Colombia, I was a uni teacher. I was teaching uh, organizational behavioral classes to um, business undergraduates. So that was also like a, a surprise um, to come across that uh, a university was looking for an English uh, speaker, speaking teacher. Uh, and I was change manager and I also had English. So they hired me and I started teaching that without really knowing what organizational behavior was as a concept. <laughs> so I had to do I had to do a lot of reading. Um, but it was a very interesting process because I under like a lot of things about change started to make more sense when I started looking at human behavior and how we actually make decisions. Uh, how not like how unconscious our decisions are and People always talk about the uh, rational decision-making process, and that's that's not always the case. Um, so with that, uh, looking for new ways to interact with the community and that experience in change management and human behavior uh, classes, um, I started thinking about how, how the world was changing with the mm. pandemic, mm. the COVID-19 thing, and how our paradigms and our understandings of the world were changing. Like, uh, of course, like 
organizations have been talking about home office and wor- remote working for ages, mm. uh, but it was not. O- it, it 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 took a pandemic for organizations to really embrace that, and all of a sudden, one day of it's well, one I another. wouldn't say they embraced it; they had it well, thrust upon yeah, them. Okay, well that's <laughs> true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, w- one day w- Friday you were working at your office, and Monday you were working from home, and yeah. that was a big change. Yeah. Um, yeah, embrace, it's maybe a very big word uh, to say. So people had to uh, start working from home, uh, looking for a place to start working because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting uh, at my kitchen table yeah, slash workstation exactly. slash recording studio right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was, uh, and looking at my brother's experience and my sister-in-law experience, having a two-year-old at home, like it was, everything was changing. And I thought, how can we make this thing um, a positive thing moving mm. forward? Like I started hearing people, yeah, when, when are we going back? Where are we going back to the office? Where, when are we going back to normal? And I said, like, is, this, is that an option? Or, or we, should, we should take this an opportu- as an opportunity to, to challenge our understanding of the world and, and start making some real changes. So that was my thought, like... I I was I had a lot of free time, <laughs> yeah. so my brain was looking for ways to to keep busy, and then yeah I reached out to to um, Earth to Mars and then um, pitched my idea and they were on board and I started writing this series, uh, and it was a very good exercise for me because I was busy I had mm. a task yeah. I had a purpose yeah. so it was it was very good, and in the process I have also learned a lot about. Uh, myself and how to uh, move forward and how to uh, reframe the experience I'm having uh, here as a um, newly uh, arrived migrant in Australia looking for a job. Uh, I'm trying to look at things differently mm. and um, turning the negative aspects of, of that experience into positives and opportunities. Yeah. So you talked about you know, you use the example of everybody kind of being thrust into remote work yeah. o- almost overnight and people saying, when are we going back, which indicates, you know, they haven't really accepted exactly. maybe the length or the, um, f- you know, that this is the new normal. Mm-hmm. So why do you think why do you think it is uh, so difficult for our brains to accept change? Because um, – even if we change our behaviors, our observable or visible behaviors, like not going to the office, not commuting, mm. working from home, having a, a, a desk in your home, um, those are behaviors that we ha- we had to accept. Yeah. But our brains are still uh, on the paradigm before that. So mm. we haven't actually changed the assumption or the belief uh, that working hom- for from home is gonna be like a more permanent thing, um, mm. so our brains usually look look uh, to the past to decide on the future. Uh, so the past, the the past we know is going to a, a, an office to work. Yeah, the work is at the office. The rest of our lives is at home. So having those things mixed together is our brain is saying, like, what the hell is happening? Mm. Um, so, for example, um, in, in, in my own experience and the experience I'm having with uh, living with my brother is like, 
Um, my nephew doesn't understand that. He mm. he knows that when uh, uh, his parents are at home, it's playtime, but they have to work. And it's like... Yeah. Yeah. My nephew's going through the same thing. He's three. Yeah. So he now has a little computer. Like okay. my, uh, my sister and brother-in-law got him a second-hand cheap laptop. Okay. And he like sits next oh to yeah. mum and pretends to work. Well, sh- and it's he, um, you know, doesn't understand a lot of what's going on. He doesn't understand, well, the playgrounds are reopened, but he yeah. didn't understand why he wasn't allowed to go to the playground yeah. for a while. Yeah. Um, being three, it's a very big concept. <laughs> I mean, even adults are not understanding it. So. Yeah, it's very hard because what we know is that we, um, yeah, we go out the house, we take the train or the car or the bike and we go to work. And it's, mm. I think it's a, a, a process in which during that commute, we change our chip. Yeah, it's like a mental uh, palate refresher. Because exactly. exactly. I found like, yeah, when I, you know, started, because I'm, uh, I like used to work from home yeah. hardly ever or maybe one day a week. And I used to do it when I was really, really busy and I just needed to get heaps of stuff done and I didn't want to talk to anyone. Okay. And that was, I found that very productive. But to do it, like switching and doing it every day, I was like, I do work from home and I'm all for it and I'm finding it hard. Because yeah. I found, yeah, I, there's no switch off between start mm-hmm. of work and finish of work because that commute is your mental yeah. reset that you finish work. Exactly. Now you go home and you do other things. And like my workstation is my kitchen table. Yeah. And the laptop's right there. And then if I want to do some online shopping at night, then I'm using my work laptop because yeah. it's already set up to exactly, just, you know. Yeah. But then you start looking at work emails. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, it's never I mean, ending. There's, there's obviously a lot of positives. Like I think to go back to an office, like if people turn around next week and said, all right, you're back in the office, I would find that so hard because, you know, I'm wearing stretchy pants, like I'm wearing Ugg boots at the moment, (laughs) you know, and like there's all this extra time that I've now got used to in the day because I'm not commuting, I'm not putting on makeup. Um, I think for women, like there's a lot less stuff that we need to do because, you know, I haven't worn high heels Uh, for months. What's that? (laughs) So I don't even know like if I'm going to be able to wear them anymore. (laughs) And, you know, to be even wearing like a lot of women have said, oh, I just, you know, dreading having to wear corporate attire because everybody's running around in activewear and really comfortable clothing so i'm like is the dress codes at offices going to change now because nobody wants to wear high heels and skirts i don't know yeah it's it's hard to say um it 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 depends on the organization but also how yeah it's it's if, if our brains are I, I think there's people that want that. Like, uh, I, I have a friend that she loves, uh, like, dressing up and putting makeup on. And I, I know that she's struggling at home, mm. like, not, not having to do her own makeup. Uh, and every chance she has, like, she says, like, I'm going to the supermarket. I, I put mascara on because it's my <laughs> chance to, to have, like, she likes that. It's, it's social part, adding. Yeah, it's part of her personality getting, like, yeah pampered and her hair done and that so she misses that so i i if i guess the same amount of people that don't miss that it's the same amount of people that do miss that and um, it depends on on our understanding of the world Uh, so everyone has a different perception of the world and depending on our experiences past experiences personalities also our upbringing how we uh, where we were born and that that that's depends on, on, on how we're going to move forward uh, in this, in this um, after-COVID world. For example, in Colombia, uh, when people started saying that 
uh, lockdowns and people working from home. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a part of the population that has uh, white-collar jobs, yeah. but there's also a huge amount of people that rely on informal jobs. Correct. So for them... They have to go out. Yeah, yeah. For them, lockdown wasn't possible because they rely on uh, the money they make in a day to be able to pay for the, for the room they have for the night. So being... Uh, on lockdown wasn't a, a, a choice for them. Mm. Uh, so it depends on your experiences and how uh, you um, experience this lockdown on this pandemic and how um, ready you are f- to, to change some um, things in your life. What I think is that you shouldn't be, we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves. Like yeah. taking this opportunity to change everything, it's, yeah. it's, it's not possible. Like our brains will be overwhelmed. Uh, so I would say that if we choose one or two or three things that we want to change in our personal lives, um, that whether that is uh, working from home two days a week or mm. having uh, spending more time with our children because we realized that we weren't spending as much as time as we wanted to, or if we want to move to another place because um, yeah we can work remotely, we should take that like a step by step because our brains don't like change. Our brains rely on past experiences and past, um, yeah, uh, rely on the past to make decisions for the future. So if we want to change everything at fir- uh, like at once, our brain is gonna go like, no, <laughs> give, me, give me a break. <laughs> I need I need some normality uh, mm. to continue. Um, so yeah, um, I would say that um, being aware of. Uh, the fact that we want to go back, it's the first step um, to to let our brains digest these new new behaviors. But also, um, and I have like I can give an example on that. Mm. If we if we only change our behaviors without changing our assumptions of or our understanding of the world, uh, we're gonna go back very quickly. So that happens when, for example, you. St- it's 31st of December, and you say next year I'm gonna go. In, uh, I'm gonna start the diet. I'm going to um, uh, sign up for the gym, and you do that on the 2nd of January. But then the 31st of <laughs> January, you're back to your old habits. Yeah, and it's because you don't really want that change. Mm. Like if you don't change your values, your beliefs on that, like no matter how uh, expensive the gym is or mm. Uh, how um, focused you are on the diet, you're gonna go back to it, uh, and that that happens to me. Like, but also cheese is delicious, yeah, exactly. and wine is delicious. Yeah, so there's yeah, that. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I've been, I've been, um, I've been very good at my diet for a whole month. Let's have a cake yeah. to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's never gonna happen, and mm. you're gonna go back very quickly. But for example, for me, um, so that's that's an example of trying to change, tra- changing your behaviors hoping to change your assumptions of the world. Mm. Uh, but I think a better way to change is uh, by understanding what beha- what assumptions you want to change, change them, and then change your behaviors. And I have a, a personal example on, on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that is fast fashion. So, yeah. I don't know, five, six years ago, I was onto fast fashion. Like, yeah. I, I, I had a, a party, and then I would go to the shops and buy a new blouse or a new dress yeah. because I didn't have anything in my closet to wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the concept of going to a wedding. Uh, my friends started getting married, and um, yeah, the, the, that thing of wearing a new dress every mm. every wedding because yeah, you have to wear a new dress every time. And I was I started to 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 think about that and my own impact in the fast fashion related to to the people that were making the clothes and and how I was impacting in a sense those people uh, and I decided that I didn't want to continue on that path mm. uh, and I decided to stop uh, buying clothes that I didn't need mm-hmm. um, and when I changed when I realized that my behaviors were affecting in some way indirectly very indirectly but it's still uh, yeah. impacting these people working in Vietnam Bangladesh and, and um, this uh, factories and that um, I realized that I, I, I didn't need the, the, the clothes I was buying mm. and um, for the last I don't know three four years I only buy what I need yeah and I think if you buy a more expensive piece of clothing that's exactly. well made it lasts a really long time whereas the fast fashion doesn't last very long and it usually ends up going in yeah, landfill so exactly. there's a lot of environmental impacts as exactly. well as supply chain and you know human rights exactly so yeah um so i wasn't going to stop buying clothes if i hadn't realized mm. that me going to the shops to buy one blouse because i w- i had a party was impacting in other ways the environment mm. and other people uh, so i changed my beliefs around fast fashion and that was the time that i changed my behavior towards buying clothes uh, and yeah, so that was a different kind of change because it, it came from something that I really believed on and mm. I wanted to change. And mm. in consequences, in consequence, I changed my behavior and not the other way around. Yeah. So with going to back to the example of, of the diet of or the exercise, if you really believe that uh, exercise is not only is not to be fit, but it has a long lasting um um, benefits to your health, to your mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a way to to introducing some behaviors into in mm. into your lifestyle, but not not because you have you like the 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 reason of losing ten pounds, ten kilos is not good enough for you to embrace mm. that that lifestyle change if you want. Yeah, uh, it works for some people, but the problem with that is that when you reach the goal. Mm you give your brain the permission to go back right. to 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 what you were doing before because you lost the 10 kilos you wanted to lose mm. and then you can go back to normal but if you have a like a higher purpose or a life like uh, yeah a higher purpose on that after you reach your 10 kilos uh, loss you can continue on that because now it's part of your life mm. and it's not only like a short term goal mm. yeah great um they're great examples. Do you have any final words of wisdom you wanted to share with us around yeah. paradigm shifts and how our brains work before we wrap up the <laughs> podcast? Yeah, I think um, this is a great opportunity for us to to challenge our, our own understandings of the world. Um, COVID made us change a lot of things mm. um, for more people, like for some people more than others, mm. but still it's a it's a global change so a lot of people everywhere like we are all in this thing um 
So we could we should take this opportunity to to challenge our understanding uh, of the world and uh, thinking and like being aware of uh, the way we are moving forwards. Uh, if this is the way we want to move forward or not, uh, we could change things. Uh, we could start slow and start small, but that doesn't mean that it's insignificant or not. Uh, or we could just wait until things get back to normal. But I think we should do the first thing, <laughs> and not the not the last thing. Yeah, um, spoken like a true change yeah. manager. <laughs> yeah, because like it's it's uh, every change manager dream. Like this this uh, context of the world, uh, we can take advantage of it. And if we wait for the world to change, that's not going to happen. Like, mm. COVID is not going to change the world. Mm. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to think about how we're moving with our lives and maybe start making changes because of it. But not it's not going to happen alone. So we have to be aware, we have to be um, conscious about it, and we can... Uh, yeah, one, one thing of, of the uh, cognitive biases and paradigms is that Sometimes people expect uh, outs the out like the outside world to change mm. uh, because um, they don't think they want they have to change. It's Example, not me. It's yeah, everyone it's else. Everyone else. Yeah, exactly. like that. Have so you seen the Simpsons meme yeah, with Principal exactly. Skinner? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 the same example we were discussing before. Like uh, everyone needs an open plan space, but not me. Like mm -hmm. it's ev it's always everyone else, um, but. Imagine if everyone had that same thought. So it's if we're waiting for everyone else to change, like this is not going to happen because mm. we are having the same thought of waiting for others to change. So th this should be the opportunity for us to start thinking that we do actually have to change, and mm. it starts with every every person. Yeah. Mm. Well, Maria, it's been an absolute delight having you come on and talk about paradigms yeah. and how our brains work. Thank you so much for being a guest on Casa de Cambio. Thank you for having me. This has been a very um, nice experience. Good. I'm glad to hear it. And if you listeners uh, enjoy the podcast, please don't be shy in writing a review. Thank you and see you next time. Bye. Bye.